0: Hi, good evening. Welcome to the National Academy. I'm Marshall Price, the curator of modern and contemporary art. And welcome back to the eighth year, it's hard to believe, but true, the eighth year of the review panel. Um, You may have noticed when you came in that uh, the Academy has undergone a bit of a facelift. Uh, We have brand new galleries and other public spaces, as you can see. Uh, The galleries will be open until 9 o'clock this evening, so if you haven't been upstairs to see the reinstallation of our uh, extensive collection and the Will Barnett retrospective, I would encourage you to do so after the review panel. Um, Before I introduce the moderator of the review panel, I would like to mention a few things. First of all, thank you to the sponsors of this event, uh, the Audrey Love Foundation and the Department of Cultural Affairs. We could not do it without their support. Um, if you would like to come back over the weekend, if you can't see the galleries this evening uh, and you would like to come back over the weekend, you can use your ticket stub uh, to, for free entry over the weekend. So please keep that in mind. We have a number of other public programs coming up that you might be interested to know about. Uh, The next one is Friday, October 14th at 2 p.m. It's a gallery talk with our assistant curator, Diana Thompson, in the Permanent Collection Galleries. On Wednesday, October 19th, we will be having the first in a a series of architectural lectures. Uh, It's Tom Main, the Pritzker Prize-winning architect, in conversation with uh, Nikolai Orosoff the architecture, former architecture critic for the New York Times. That's at 6.30 uh, in this room on Wednesday, October 19th. Friday, October 28th is, of course, the next installment of the review panel, and the uh, speakers will be Patricia Mulder, James Pinero, and Peter Plagens. So, uh, again, 6.45, October 28th. We hope to see you then as well. And finally, on November 5th, this is Saturday, we will be holding a symposium on the work of Will Barnett. And for those of you who don't know Will Barnett, he is truly an American treasure. He's uh, 100 years old, he turned 100 in May, and he continues to paint just about every day. So um, we will be shedding um, all kinds of light uh, on his work at the symposium on November 5th. With that being said, I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator for the review panel, uh, David Cohen um, has been uh, just a, a, a joy to work with over these last eight years, and I hope that it continues. It's it's been a very fruitful relationship that we've had with ArtCritical.com. David is the publisher and editor of ArtCritical.com, and he will introduce tonight's panelists. Thank you, David. Thank you very much, indeed. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. Well, every new year of the review panel, we feel rejuvenated, do we not? Transformed, perhaps, it should be the operative uh, um, word for uh, the author of Are You Experienced? Ken Johnson, art critic of the New York Times, uh, review, sorry, reviews uh, regularly for the New York Times, and is the author of Are You Experienced? How Psychedelic Consciousness Transformed Modern Art, published by Prestel this year. Uh, Carly Berrick writes about... Uh, oh, Ellie Bronson yeah. is, the, is the author of Creating the New Century which is a, a catalogue of the Dickey collection published in March 2011 by the Dayton Art Institute and she's a regular contributor to artcritical.com and an assistant director at Jamie Frankfurt LLC Art Advisory and Carly Berrick on my right your left is uh, writes about art and culture for Art in America, Art News, New York, and um, other magazines. Uh, Ken and Carly are what I call repeat offenders. We've had the pleasure of their company on the review panel before, and Ellie is making her maiden voyage, so we'll go gentle on her. So, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. Thank you. As I was beginning to say, uh, <clears throat> every year, a new review panel, one feels uh, a little bit older, but also rejuvenated by the, the possibility of uh, engaging critically with a, a, a keen and full audience uh, I- offering live reviews of contemporary art in New York City. Uh, this year, though, it feels <clears throat> uh, especially rejuvenating to be in such a bright, clean, forward looking, and uh, progressive feeling institution, uh, which some of us have secretly known the National Academy has always been, but it sometimes needs a little help from a designer, an architect, to make that uh, as, as clear as it is, uh, walking through these renovated galleries and uh, reconfigured spaces and uh, repurposed uh, the repurposed sense. I mean, it's just... Uh, When you think about the fact that uh, the movie about Bansky is called, what, Exit Through the Gift Shop, well, the National Academy used to have to enter through the gift shop, but now instead you enter in this beautiful lobby with the names of all the uh, academicians, past and present, engraved uh, on the ceiling with enough uh, rows to to last this institution well into the 23rd century, and uh, that lovely display of newly elected members, which really makes it very, very clear that... This institution may have uh, gone through various periods of antagonism towards uh, people who have now canonized within the, the great and the good of modern American art, but actually right now, if you look at the names up on the board of some of the new people who they've just just elected, it feels like a very connected and vital institution, so it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, it's also poignant this eighth year because I should just mention that uh, the uh, officer of the National Academy who first stewarded this program into the roster of, of offerings here at the National Academy, uh, uh, Susan Shatter, uh, was the secretary of the National Academy when I, uh, first, we first explored the idea of this series and introduced the first review panel on which Ken, in fact, sat uh, with uh, Maureen Malarkey and Jerry Saltz uh, eight years ago. Uh, Susan passed away uh, after a, a very long and uh, heroic battle with cancer um, earlier this summer. So, uh, a nod to Susan, and thank you, Susan, for bringing us here. So, who's, uh, who's here for the first time at the review panel? Wonderful. Excellent. So, for your benefit, and just to remind the rest of us, uh, the format is Simplicity itself. We've all been to, or been able to go to, four exhibitions of contemporary art. Uh, And this evening what we'll do is offer a short PowerPoint presentation of the first two exhibitions we'll talk about. Then the four panelists will do just that, talk about it. Then, Then there's a chance for the audience to make comments, probe the panel with questions, let off steam and then we repeat the exercise for the other two exhibitions. So, I turn uh, to my ABLE assistants, editorial assistants, at Art Critical, who will <coughs> get us going with some imagery. So, two exhibitions to consider there, uh, Heim Steinbach at Tanya Banakhtar, and Lianjo Ehrlich at Sean Kelly, New York, which perhaps the panel will or will not agree with me, represent experiences of commonplace, perhaps overlooked objects, transformed, transfigured, rendered, unusual, strange, alienating, disconcerting, wondrous, weird in different contexts than those one would normally encounter. Toys and uh, dog chews and elevator shafts in, one doesn't associate those objects with an art gallery unless they are art. Ken, with Heimstein back, do you get the sensation of an artist who is inviting us to look with greater depth and sympathy at at objects that might otherwise be overlooked, or do you get the stronger feeling of an artist Play, playing some game with taste perhaps poking fun at the objects that he's brought together what, what's the this, what's this sort of what kind of relationship does Steinbeck engender in relation to the objects he selects
2: uh, well it's for, for one thing it's between yes yeah, sort of popular culture or kitsch culture and high culture the, with the minimalist shelves I guess you you find yourself thinking, "What would these look like without the objects on the shelves?" You could have a whole career just doing that. Um, but to me, they, it kind of raises a question like that: these things that he presents on the shelves, most of them, are extraordinarily attractive and and sort of electrifying sometimes. As as even at the same time as they're kind of stupid looking and. Um, to me, that's the mystery of it. He's been doing that for 20 years, and and it never, to me, it never gets old. And and I don't know if it alters taste, but it does sort of make you think about what what what's attractive visually.
1: Yes. Carly, do do you feel it's more the uh, individual object, the assemblage, or, or something that's Meta, beyond, beyond anything that's seen, that it's all about?
3: Well, there's definitely something um, about his own sensibility that comes through, his own affection for these objects. I mean, it is a very curated um, assembly, but it takes, um, or it took me a few steps to realize that the dog two toys were dog two toys, and then you look at them again, of course, as these um, elegant, minimal objects, and you wonder who designed the dog chew toy um, but in the you know as as Ken notes he's been doing this for so long he's had this great affection for these um, you know throw, throw away objects for uh, you know I remember seeing um, something he did actually at Gavin Brown maybe you know a I won't say how long ago, um, but um, it was actually, instead of being the shelves without the objects, it was the objects without the shelves. So you had them just strewn about a table. And they had a similar effect of um, this, um, you know, bizarrely curated junk store that, you know, transcended the objects beyond junk, which other people do. But there's something in in his... um, in his affection for them and, and very specific choices that, um, you know, make transforms, you know, the objects and ourselves, of course, but I, I, I felt that the tension in the show, um, was right where Ken put it of the objects on these minimalist shelves. And I was trying, I still don't know if he actually makes Judd look better, um, in these, very, uh, you know, they're made with plywood rather uh, than metal, and um, and or if he sh- if he should leave the objects to themselves again. There's this tension, and in, in, in the other shows as well, between the access that these artists now have to opulence, if they so choose, and they are constantly negotiating, it seems, how much of their um, these are all established artists how much of their access to wealth they want to put in their shows especially if you're elevating degraded objects Mm -hmm. Um, so I would go at this moment with the idea that he's doing um, a nice offhand Judd the way his objects are also um, offhand elevations of impoverished um, objects
1: Right. yes uh, Carly mentions Judd. Uh, Ellie, the, the uh, minimalist or art, artist who comes to my mind is more Artschwager, that the the, uh, the, the the fusion of the the element of pop with the element of uh, the streamlined, um, the reductive. Um, because the you know the 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 shelves, the, the, you would expect a, a kind of dichotomy between shelf and what's on the shelf, but in fact the shelf itself has a kind of kitsch element, doesn't it?
4: It does. I think I would have rather seen an Art Schwager show. However, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if the tension that Carly mentions really gripped me. I um, I saw the show twice, and I'm afraid to say I was rather left cold both times. The objects didn't strike me as as compelling as they did to Ken and. I'm not sure exactly what that was, whether it was the combination of, as you said, the pop elements that make up the shelves, or I simply was not interested in the objects or the combination of the objects. But uh, a friend of mine who is an artist who really liked the show and I were talking about it and he said, the reason he liked it was he paid no attention to any conceptual implications by any of the, <laughs> anything that we've really just been talking about that he really just liked that he felt that he was in the artist's mind. And so I think either, for, for this show, either you like being in hmm. the artist's mind or you didn't. And I'm it, afraid I didn't.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I, I confess that, that I don't either and I, I also would, Want to talk to your friend and say, uh, if if there's no nothing conceptual to think about, but you feel you're in the artist's mind, then what kind of mind is it? Is he really an artist? Uh, because a, an artist's mind should always have things in it that are conceptual. Um, Ken, the, the the objects of intrinsic interest that that that's just a difference to a matter of taste. I mean, if 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 you feel the the doggy chews, and, and Carly as well. If you feel the objects do have significance uh, and, and sort of beauty or curiosity, then then uh, I think Ellie and I should be envious of you. But, <laughs> but um, let's, let's... I think you should. I look at <laughs> dog chews differently now. Yes. Well, I've just used too many dog chews—not not on myself, but on my dog. Um, but uh, in fact, I was curious to know: did he put any peanut butter in the dog chew? That would have taken it perhaps a different level. But uh, Ken, um, clearly, conceptually, something is going on, right? It's, it, there's the shelf, and there's the objects. Are the objects in a dynamic relationship with them? Are they still? Li- do they have the, the tension or symbolism or, or drama of a still life object?
2: Well, I, I originally when he started making this in the 80s he was associated with that what they you know that term neo geo which was mm-hmm. Jeff, with Jeff Jeff Koons who taking uh shiny objects and presenting them inviting us to look at them the way that we look at artworks mm-hmm. not that they are artworks but what if you look at them that way with a kind of hyper uh receptivity um so in one way, one concept that's going on in, in uh, um, Steinbach's works is, is he's saying, right, here's two, uh, <clears throat> you have these commercial objects and you have these shelves, and, and these are commercial objects. that He's selling artworks that are commodities. So okay. I don't know if anybody, ca- I mean, it's interesting that we didn't start out talking about that part because that, that was the hot issue. In the 80s, and now, I guess we don't worry so so much about commodification. Um, But also, those objects that he's presented each represents uh, embodies some kind of long-term thinking in the world of design and toy making, and and you know the the dog chew toys make you think of Rancuzi. I'm sure that that's obvious. So you have two different kinds of intense uh, sophistication uh, mm-hmm. that are juxtaposed, and uh, yeah, I think they, they, they animate two different parts of your mind. One is the child, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, your inner child, that, <coughs> that uh, day glow green frog just mm. like, thrills me when I, when I look at it. And, and so it invites you to wonder what you know. Where what is how is art playing on us, and, and how does it how does the our our minds reverberate in response? I find it uh, delightful, and especially the the single green uh, monster in the yes. in the Robert Creature. Morris room. Yes. And. Uh, <laughs> you know, that dichotomy between the Puritanism and the white supremacist uh, kind of idea and the kind of uh, uh, beast coming up from the muck, the Freudian muck. And, uh, um, you know, there's a a sense of kind of trying to integrate these spheres of consciousness that, that, uh, you know, our education system tends to insist on keeping separate.
1: Yes, well, I, I mean, I think you hit, historically, for me, you hit the nail on the head with the reference to, to Kuhn's. To, to, to me, he is as a sort of Kuhn's light, which is uh, possibly. I would tautology. say he's actually
3: not Kuhn's light, but perhaps purer than Kuhn's, in that he has never tried to. Um, uh, he, he elevates the materials for what they are, um, mm. and um, he does not gild them. Um, and I think that there, there's a, something very pure in that and so therefore I felt a little off-put by some of the um, writings on the walls. I felt that those right. tried to do more than was necessary um, and you know, perhaps some ri- artists are very good writers and some are not. Um, right. <laughs> um,
1: but the, the, the piece Creature that's on the second floor that, that Ken so eloquently described... Is a, a very stark uh, juxtaposition of minimal and pop art, uh, or, or the the super ego and the id, if you like, um, uh, the, uh, coming together. But it, to me, it seemed—I mean, it seemed actually the most ambitious work in the show—and I was kind of pleased that he's going beyond the shelf. Um, uh, it's off the shelf, you could say, um, <laughs> but it, but it's uh, it's also out of the box, as it were.
0: Too, too many metaphors
1: there but um, uh, but at the same time actually it, it's the, the dichotomy is so obvious it, it's there right from the get-go in his career um, and that's why I I mean okay if it's irresponsible to say he's a footnote to Koons he's, a, he's a, a Siamese twin of, of, of Koons because the, those two artists and I suppose Hearst would be their godson um, Really, it's just this collision of pure minimal box and kitsch detritus inside it.
2: I, I think he's different from, I mean, Kuhns and Steinbach seem similar to me in that what they do comes out of love. I think they, they love, they're not mock, there's no mockery in what they're doing, uh, as there is in, in Hearst.
1: Do we all feel that? Delhi? do you feel there's any mockery? Uh, in, is he sort of having a dig at uh, uh, proletarian American taste or do you think he's an absolutely pure, genuine love for every object he finds?
4: I actually couldn't decide. I pondered that very question a lot while I was researching and preparing for this panel. And uh, Sorry, my mind is wandering a little bit back to the, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. Because every time I, I went upstairs in the gallery and looked at that installation, I kept thinking how funny that this creature emerged from the swamp and created Robert Morris artworks. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else thought that, but I simply couldn't let go of that image once. Perhaps you know. it tells us
1: where Robert Morris came Yeah, from. He
4: came out of the slime, and this is what he did.
1: <laughs> well, he, he, he did come out of the slime of abstract expressionism. That's, I mean, this is where minimal art comes from. you got rid of the, the mess and the... Uh, the effluvia, the id. I mean, you know, you go from de Kooning to Robert Morris. You've you've cleaned your up <laughs> But then, if you go back to pop appropriation, it's a bit more slime, right? But but it's a, a clean slime.
3: Yeah, there's pop and there's pop, or there's appropriation and there's an appropriation. So. Yes,
2: I think that there 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 was oh. a I'm oh, sorry. Well, I
1: uh, Carly's saying, you know. Carly's insisting on quality. There's there's pop and there's pop. There's appropriation. There's appropriation. So
3: uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think i maybe have, I'm the same mind of as Ken on this is that there is just this affection. It's not um, it's not tongue in cheek. It's not um, the the exotic, um, you know, unknown of you know Pennsylvania gift you know um, kits shops or something. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not. Um, Foraging for something that you're not, that seems very, for whatever reason, the objects are tied to something important to him.
5: Okay.
2: Do you want to go on? If you have <laughs> something else to oh, say. No, I, I, I think that in, in a way there's this, like in the 60s when the pop artists started appropriating material from pop culture, there was still this clear distinction between high, and high art and low culture. So mm. uh, that it upset people to. To bring that into the art realm, but it was still clear who was on top. And I think in the in decades that followed, that be, that line that uh, separation between became, became increasingly difficult and, and to 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 believe in. And then from the 60s on, pop culture and uh, started to I, I think artists started looking at pop culture and thinking it's it's more imaginative than we are. It's more exciting. It's more interesting. Movies, music, and and now that that high-low uh, hierarchy for for people younger than myself, I don't think exists at all.
5: Um, and I don't
2: know Steinbeck's closer to my age, and and so there's perhaps a sort of a almost a nostalgia for that separation. And
1: uh, uh, I I think that ahead. might be either. Idealistic or uh, pessimistic to, to think that um, people as young as the rest of us are on this panel. But let me let me ask <laughs> Ellie. I can be so personal. You are the youngest, I believe. <laughs> oh, maybe not. I don't know. Nope. Well,
0: <laughs> we're both ladies. You really can't both. win this well, one. Yeah. Okay. Before <laughs> that,
1: strike that. Um, <laughs> let me ask Carly and Ellie, as the youngest members of the panel, if they would. Uh, Confirm or, or or refute Ken's assertion that uh, to to uh, your tender generation there's no ability to uh, discriminate between high and low or, or see appropriation as appropriation. Is that what you're really saying?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, that that the hierarchy
2: yeah. is yes. is not clear.
1: The hierarchy in the, in is obscured cycle in now.
5: Yeah.
1: Is the hierarchy obscured between high art and kitsch?
3: Um, I think I'm speaking for an older generation, but um, I think it's not that it is, I think thanks to so many artists, in fact, though,
5: Hmm.
3: um, it's not that Steinbeck's the only one doing this. Uh, Yes, it's a horde, isn't it? Right, yeah, and in in fact, I can think of many examples that I felt were much more condescending, so I think that... um, thanks to so many artists and to the, you know, to the expansion of the idea of media, but the art continues to um, reinforce high and low, even, you know, this costs a certain amount.
1: Yes, yes. To to me, it seems that um, artists appropriating objects and then putting them into play in the gallery, in artworks, is is so well established, at least we've been doing it for a century, That um, it can't have uh, face value anymore. It seems to me that um, it's almost no more remarkable for an artist to go and find tchotchkas and put them into play in an artwork than it is for an artist to get Winsor and Newton or Williamsburg tubes of paint and smear them and and squeeze them onto a a palette. I mean, this is a palette. We've we've had so long to look at. Appropriation art and installation art that um, it's got to be that the. I mean, it's good if you're looking at a bronze or a marble to be forced to think about bronze and marble, but for the most part, bronze and marble are kind of transparent when you're looking at a sculpture um, and you look at the sculpture. So we should look at the relationships, the internal dynamics within a a Heimstein Bach to decide how it's working, whether it's working, what's going on. It seems it seems very strange to me to still be really thinking about um, appropriation.
2: Well, I think I mean I mean the, the aesthetics that are that are in the, the shelves and the aesthetics of the things presented on the shelves are uh, very consistent in a broader uh, view of uh, visual culture. You know, you've got the the the, the fake the um, Degas reproductions in in these boxes that are themselves uh, sculptures and and so <clears throat> I, I you know if you if you begin to sort of tease out further out the implications of what he's what he's talking about you get um, more this sense of what is 20th century consciousness and that that uh, we set up these categories of high-low art non-art Pop art, you know, and those are those are fine. But there there may be something that he's uh, sort of in, instinctively getting at that uh, that isn't um, sort of or doctrinaire, doctrinaire art historical thinking.
4: I think it is an interesting contrast. Again, you know, I'm not sure whether I believe this show is entirely successful in this department, but I think. Ken, you're right that what's interesting about it is the combination of the two different sort of modes of art making. There's, you know, the minimalist very traditional, which is the shelves, and then the making art out of non-art materials. It's almost as though in each work he's fused two completely different ideologies. And maybe that's, you know, why it's confusing to some and successful and interesting to others.
2: Well, I just like I like the way they look. You know, I mean, that well, that's, that's, that.
1: that's a good place to start and maybe also end. Um, so, Ellie, Leandro Ehrlich Here we have. I can't detect um, any forced dichotomies. This is um, a very um, both literal and followed through. Appropriation, or uh, maybe appropriation. I think appropriation is the wrong word. It is a, uh, it is what it is. Uh, tell <laughs> us, tell us what what you did with the elevator. Well, where did it take you?
4: Actually, uh, this was rather a funny story. Before leaving work, the day that I went to the opening of Leandra Ehrlich's show, I got stuck in the elevator. <laughs> 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 so, I went to the opening and was fortunate enough to meet the artist, and I told him the story, I said, you know, I actually just got stuck in the elevator before coming here. And he was rather pleased that I had sort of started the show early, he said. (laughs) Um, So I may have been really in a particularly uh, appropriate frame of mind to experience the show. But what I loved about it, as opposed to really being stuck in the elevator, was (laughs) that it transported you to sort of a, com- a completely different place. There were people interacting with each other. It was like going to an amusement park almost. I had conversations with people on every artwork. People asked me, uh, looking at, I can't remember the name of it, but the last artwork in the final room of the exhibition, people asked me more than once if I was waiting for the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the follow-up question was, is it a real elevator? So I just... Um, I I really loved that interaction with other people and sort of the space that the artist had created. And later when I was reading about the show, the artist made um, a statement in a previous interview in which he said that he didn't consider his artworks to be finished until people entered the space and interacted with them. And I thought that was pretty poignant, and it certainly spoke to my experience.
1: Carly, describe interactions that you had, either with the work or with... uh with fellow visitors and
3: well, did you feel that
1: you were completing the artwork by seeing it?
3: Yeah, of course. I, I mean, while well, it invites you to, um, to experience, to attempt to be disoriented uh, which is the stated goal of the piece um, you know, and I'm not sure if it was, a, I hadn't had lunch yet but I did stumble out light-headed <laughs> and, um, and there is this amusement park effect and um, it's of a genre itself now. With the Carsten Höller show coming to New Museum, where artists make these objects that we can attempt to um, navigate in kind of the appropriate way to leave feeling somehow changed. And um, uh, a quarter of me loves this, and I um, don't know style. if yeah, <laughs> it's if it's just that. Uh, I feel that...
1: As long some, as 75% yeah, of you doesn't detest
3: it. Maybe. No, <laughs> it's not detested, it, but it feels somewhat neutral for the effort. Right. I feel like, uh, again, it's to send you back to life um, looking at you know pushing elevator buttons perhaps as um, um, this kind of exciting daily risk. And um, <laughs> I wonder if I needed the, um, the, the incredible... Um, I mean, to put it coarsely, expense and effort of having the sideways elevator to travel down like a rabbit hole to be able to wander out on the street again and look at elevators differently.
1: Right, right. Poseidon Adventure came to my mind, Ken. Did you have any sort of pop cultural (laughs) associations with the sideways elevator or uh, what did you, where did it take you?
2: Oh, yeah, the, um, what was that movie? Inception. I think, for me, there's a, there's a problem with, with the work, because I, I don't know, it hasn't been explicitly stated, but uh, the, set, the, the first elevator, you walk in, and it looks like an elevator's gone down into the floor. And in fact, it's an illusion created with a mirror that it's actually reflecting um, what the, the ceiling, which reflected looks like a floor. And then the other, there are six other elevators with what appear to be mirrored walls, but when you look into the mirror, you don't see yourself, so you realize actually you're looking into another reproduction. And if you've seen one, one of his pieces before, <clears throat> you know what to expect. But I, I remember I saw, I think, I, it may be the first time he did, did one of these in, in Soho, at, at, when Kent Gallery was there. And I walked in and, and it looked like a waiting room, a, a, like a therapist's waiting room. And there was a mirror and this simple waiting room. And I just went, uh, you know, I walked out and the, the dealer, Douglas, said, well, did you, did you get it? And I, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, go back and look. So I go back and look and I realized that what, what I thought was the mirror, and I, had, I didn't notice that I didn't see myself in the mirror. Um. Uh, was just the same room recreated in reverse, so so it seemed like a mirror. Well, once you've once that's been done, you can do it in lots of different ways. But once you know the trick, it, mm. it, you it, you know it's for people who've never
1: you uh, don't know shot. what to
2: expect, right, right. And and they, I mean, he went to
1: considerable expense, and I the. Ingenuity and, and the, and, uh, the uh, taste? And, and the
2: elevators, it's not... It's it's all uh, fabricated. It's, mm-hmm. He didn't just get uh, canned elevators. Um, <laughs> so...
1: Probably a real elevator you would have cost a lot I'm more. very
2: sympathetic to it, but I... I why? I feel... I feel, <laughs> What?
1: Well, you've just described that it's a one-liner, and that you, once you've got it, you've got it. So why are you sympathetic to oh, it? Oh,
2: I love the one-liner, but... All right.
1: I, you know, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, but you have to go and persuade a lot of people who haven't seen it to go and see it to join you in your enthusiasm and then it's, it's going to be like a Ponzi scheme you're going to have to go and <laughs> convert more and more people uh, because there's going to be nothing no, nothing left to give to the first investors is there well, if, if it's a one shot experience right?
3: It must be said it couldn't happen to a nicer guy and in that sense you think there's this um, Trajectory of context, like, yeah, he was showing in Soho and he's been doing this for many years and he's been in Williamsburg forever. So great that he just got to take over Sean Kelly Gallery. And in that sense, that's why I want to like the show, but that hasn't not, again, it has nothing to do with um, Mm -hmm. the fake elevator. uh, And the the most, um, what I could see was what was new was him constructing this shaft, which wasn't illusory. There was nothing illusory about the shaft, it was just weird. To walk yes. down, this you know, go under the narrow door. But mm-hmm. again, you can point to other artists that have reconstructed buildings in ways that make you crouch down and and come out the rabbit
6: hole.
1: Yes, one, one could also think of Liebeskind's Jewish Museum in in uh, Berlin as as a comp- I wasn't trying to make a joke, but as a comparable experience of uh, uh, claustrophobic, claustrophobia-inducing and disconcertingness of of uh, of, of an elevator on its side. I mean, um, Ellie, uh, the dealer at Kent, had to say to Ken, "Did you get it?" Now, with a joke, that's usually a bad sign. If one <laughs> says, "Did you get it?", um, you've you've described in very pleasurable terms the interaction with other uh, viewers and the and your your personal uh, experience with the show. But do do you see the problem of um, you know what of of depth?
4: I guess it. I didn't really think of it that way. I just lost myself in the experience and lived it and bought into it and really enjoyed myself.
2: Have you have you seen one of his works before?
4: No. I missed the swimming pool at PS One, I'm sorry. To oh say. that was very cool too. And I th- wish that I'd one seen actually
2: that. surprised me. You walk you <clears throat> you walk up on this wooden deck and it, there's a small swimming pool about the size of the floor here and it's kind of lovely and you go in and you look down and you can see in and then suddenly you see people walking around down below and uh, I really like that a lot so
5: um,
2: good but this this one I I I mean it may be that he can I, I don't think that playing with illusion and mirrors and that sort of thing is necessarily limited that you could do more with it um, and more different things with it
1: yeah there's there's the effects that he marshals and then there's the affect of the overall um, his overall sort of shtick now mirrors yes there's an infinite number of things you can do with mirrors but I mean usually usually with artists um, they've got many Ideas, um, and then they find, and then there are forms that are sort of appropriate to their ideas. Now here it's the other way around. He's a man. He's a one-idea man, and he goes out finding the forms to to match that i that that singular experience.
2: Yeah, and then the, the part of the problem is that the the, the uh, as with Steinbach the the, he, the elevators are made with so lovingly and so perfectly. I have my own elevator story because. Uh, in my building, which is seven stories high, they they put in new elevators. So, I, which was a six-week process, and, and they actually look sort of like uh, these, um, the but without the right. without the you know, there's the wood paneling and the stainless steel. I mean, there there's there's a certain kind of attention to uh, um, contemporary taste in elevators mm-hmm. and in yeah. in cor- a certain kind of corporate. Uh, reflection of corporate so you know metaphor about uh, the corporate uh, world as a hall of mirrors is you know you, mm-hmm. could, you could do something with that it, so maybe it's not just a trick
1: Yes. Um, Carly what about the video one with the, the um, Asian people in it uh, does that take us to a different realm
3: no sorry
1: okay <laughs> The answer was no. You've got to the, uh, yeah. Okay. No. What was right. the question? <laughs> the question was whether the the piece that has um, Asian business people inside the elevator as a video uh, takes us to a different place. Oh, when
2: I saw it, there were there weren't Asians. I don't think. <laughs> I don't, there might be different uh, videos, but it's just not, you don't have you you don't yet have uh, the technology to create. That kind of illusion, right? Enough. When we have it, uh, hopefully he'll be onto it.
1: um. (laughs) Right. That guy who showed at 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 Kasmin uh, last year. We I think we reviewed him here on the panel. Um, The Las Vegas, the uh, mirrors, and the 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 trade. Who? (laughs) Yes. The the. Bara, our, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Island, yeah. With the tray towers, and you look right down, and boom. There's a lot to do with mirrors, of course. But, uh, okay. I,
4: I'm, I'm sticking process. up you stick I'm up, sticking for, him, up please. for my buddy, Leandro. Yes. I, I, I wanted to go back to... Um,
1: Did you go back?
4: Oh, to see the show? Yes. Saw it twice, loved it again the second time.
1: Ah.
4: And I was thinking about... So what, what
1: was the difference of the second time, then?
4: I just really wanted to investigate it further and physically experience it again, and I spent a lot longer the second time. I didn't, you know, there wasn't an opening. There wasn't really anyone else there, actually. I think I went on a Saturday morning, and I wandered around the uh, fake elevator bank, which was sort of three on one side, three on the other, and I, I mean, it sounds juvenile, but I was sticking my hand through one side and looking at it from the other, and it but just it, was. Have to do that. It was so fun, yeah. and so what I was thinking is, you could say, okay, there's one joke. Do you get the joke? Or he has one idea. Once you're onto it, it ruins it. I didn't think so because, again, maybe this is me, but I'm a sucker for things like knock knock jokes. You know, you never know what the punchline is going to be. <laughs> maybe you know you're hearing a knock knock joke, but you can still laugh.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I don't want to give the impression I'm overwhelmingly negative. I mean I, I got what I got I got what I got from the show and I I did really like the one on its side and that had a kind of no, that had a gravitas to it. Um, I mean to my mind.
2: That hallway was a shaft on its side. Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: That's the shaft on its side. Didn't you think so? Yeah.
2: I didn't get that.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yeah,
2: so <laughs> <laughs> ah, you need to go back again. Yes,
1: it's got the it's got the poles on the side. Yeah, now so you're I get it. That's yeah. why I said the Poseidon Adventure because you, you, you know, it's it's the disconcertingness of. Uh, to me,
3: it recalled. Let's see, Toy Story Two.
1: Toy Story Two. Okay, Thank we you. had Inception, Toy Story Two, Poseidon Adventure. Any movies? <laughs> oh well, okay,
2: okay. But, but I think this this whole thing goes to uh, something. This I this. That uh, art today is thought of as experiential. Like artists, the job of an artist is create an experience, and uh, hopefully, uh, sort of consciousness altering. And um, it was a cool experience, or it wasn't. At least that's what that's what I think. I'm so not. So you want to, like a
1: spectacle experience then? Because I mean, I, well, I'm no, looking at a Rembrandt, Spectacles spectacle a, a suggests something. Yeah, I guess
2: it. Experience but, really, but you're immersed in it. I guess can you be immersed in a spectacle?
3: I mean, there are so many immersive architectural installations, sure, sure, that have like different aesthetic qualities. So you've talked about like the the corporate um, references, and and you can go to the Huller whenever that opens, what, in a couple weeks, and have Mm. your different experiences. And then the other huge architect, you know, there's people like um, uh, Gregor Schneider, um, and I'm forgetting the other person. well, Jose but um, more that you're in the building, you're in the structure, um, and things happen to you. And some are b- deliberately very degraded, um, yes. very, uh, you know. And
1: the British guy who did that, um, right? Uh, sorry, Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So that's
3: a much more um, like grungy. You know, someone else's apartment. That's a very
1: rich experience, isn't it? Well, but in
3: theory, if you want to say, well, let's look at this also from the aesthetic side. What's the? You know, you're looking at um, a certain kind. Even the choice of an elevator. These are very clean objects traditionally, not. So there, there is. It's. I'm not sure how conscious the idea is to strip away this like lived-in associations. You know, and it's. um,
1: Well, the. I mean, uh, the Mike Nelson is like a Keenholz that you can walk through whereas um, the, the uh, Leandro Ehrlich, I, I feel that
2: uh, it's... It but the, pro- the problem I'm saying is yes. that unlike, say, when like Greenberg was uh, um, ruling the roost, that he-, he had very clear criteria about how we judge certain kinds of objects and certain kinds of objects were the only kind of objects worth judging. And now we live in a world where, hey, it's a cool experience or it's not there's clearly there's aesthetics involved Mm -hmm. but that's not our judgments aren't based on aesthetics there yeah and Is that the the decline and fall of western
1: culture no it doesn't necessarily no I I, I see what I see I concur with you I mean but the uh,
3: coolness of the experience depends on the aesthetics as well
1: Oh, so absolutely! So,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're, yeah, sure. The criteria for judgment is not some.
2: But it depends a, on sort of kinesthetic, you know, just purely space well, there's, there's, and yeah. and sort of illusion and and all kinds of other. There's stuff. a kind of
1: gold standard of art, perhaps that you're saying this is this has gone off the gold standard. Art's gone off the gold standard because you're saying, if I'm getting you correct, uh, maybe in some past moment an art object is something you go back to over and over again, it would reveal new layers of depth and new layers of meaning and it would change its meaning over time and that would be the gold standard of art and that if it is an art you go to and you burst out laughing or you burst out crying you have an intense emotional experience your consciousness has changed but you can't have the same experience again it's not necessarily a bad thing if it was an intense experience of a different nature
2: Well, I think uh, Karsten Haller uh, had a part of his show in in Germany. uh, He was uh, offering people psilocybin uh, to enhance the experience. That probably won't go over very well here, but um, it does psilocybin.
1: Oh, I see. Uh,
2: Do you know what that is? Mm, uh, It's the active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms. Oh,
1: right. Yes, okay.
2: Okay. All right. I mean, it brings to mind like a Philip K. Dick kind of uh, right. sure. art art world future where, um, you know, we just have experiences. Well, it's it.
3: fascinating, actually, the way that you put it, though, because what it indicates is the incorporation of a cinematic experience into art, even when it's sure. not cinematic art. That's that, right. Yeah.
1: Because actually, that would, would be then my critique of the new kind of art that gives that experience is that it's okay, it no longer wants to compete with Titian because it's not going to give you this experience you go back to over and over again, but then it has to compete with a really great rock concert or a really good movie and it usually falls flat. But anyway, I think it's time to bring in the audience um, uh, who must be ready to really let off steam here and uh, Steinbeck and Ehrlich. It's always a danger that the um, questions focus entirely on the last show one has looked at, but I think the aesthetic debate we were having there, I always love it when we have of meta critical debate go beyond the show so that's a good sign Uh, that little debate about does it matter if it's not an experience you have to go back to over and over again if it's a one-off good experience that's also something be good to uh, have some comment on so that Ehrlich Steinbach. so uh, raise your hands and a mic will come to you and please wait for the mic so that
7: we can record you yes you do otherwise (laughs) we will not hear you I just wanted to see the uh, Leandro show last weekend, and um, I, was, I was listening to your uh, comments and your discussion, and I agree with many things. I think um, one of the things is uh, thinking about it, thinking back on it. Uh, there was this experience of um, the the installation lighting, for example, um, it's very dim, and um, there was a girl that was walking into one of the um, the room, or the elevators on the side, and I also didn't know at first that it was an elevator to the side. Um, but she was short, and she walked through this little door, and I didn't really know what had just happened. It seemed like the wall had sort of swallowed her in, you know, because you have to duck down. I'm rather tall, um, so. I, I don't think it's a one off in that sense. I think if I were to go back, you know, tomorrow, I would still have um, a similar experience and it would also keep developing. And also that back room where the elevator you press in the video, when the door opens the video, um, the video keeps changing and it does keep, um, it begs you to ask what your perception of what is happening. I mean, it just doesn't... Also, if you don't press, it's, it's a choice, if you don't press the elevator button, the door doesn't open. It doesn't just open on its own. At least I don't think so. So um, there is, I don't know, cinematic, but I mean, certainly the lights are lowered and it's not, you go up, you leave the gallery with a different sense, it's, it's it is a true Consciousness yeah. raising so, and changing. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you I, 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 I you do feel it. that <laughs> it was just a So Thank you very hour.
1: much, thank you for sharing, <laughs> thank you. Um, Yes.
8: Uh, uh, Not an expert by any means, but uh, both shows from what I from what I felt uh, instinctively, they're both playing with your psychology. One is a pleasure button, and the other one's a fear button. Uh, The toys are pleasure, and the elevators fear. And both have been I get what do you call it decontextualized or something, and it's some kind of term like that, so that you're you're looking at something that is really just a pop pleasure or a real horror for a lot of us. Elevators scare the hell out of me. Every time I stand in one, it's awful. And so to turn it into this elaborate, elegant facade of reality is, and then to get, like Ellie was saying, how it turned people into conversationalists around something that's so scary in the same way the, the, Godzilla, uh, the beast from, what was it, Black Lagoon? Yeah. The, the way, I mean, that's just pure pleasure. There's no fear in that. So I just, the whole thing seems to me like a, an art
1: of psychology,
8: rather than um, worrying about the the materials and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Okay, great, thank you. Are we responding? We no, no, on? we don't have to. We're just this is audience only. Uh, we can Hello. as, as you um,
5: The thing I got about the Steinberg when I walked into the Creature of the Black Lagoon piece with Robert Morris was that I burst out laughing, but as you were talking, I started thinking about. Uh, the Re- a Race to Cooney
2: by Robert Rauschenberg and so there's uh, for me there was a great deal of humor along with this second level of
8: bringing
3: that kind of thinking into what we're doing in a contemporary way here.
1: I don't know if you agree with that or not but
5: that's what I thought about.
1: Okay, thank you it's good to hear thoughts uh, yes lady in the
9: so I'm curious about this cinematic quality because my favorite moments in both of these shows reminded me of film. Um, seeing this creature in the middle of this white, minimalist space, I agree it was hilarious and made me think of something like 2001 or like, you know, just that moment in the film where the music goes dun-dun! <laughs> and um, then, however, it transformed, and suddenly I was looking at the details of the aesthetics of this strange creature, because it was not in the slime at all. Um, so I'm wondering if it's sort of cinema, and then better. Mm-hmm. And um, in the elevator, in the Ehrlich show, going down that shaft made me think of any number of Wile E. Coyote cartoons, where suddenly. You know, you're in an elevator that's about to crash. Right. But it was in slow mo, so it was again like taking that cinematic moment and making you pause with it or something. I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. We'll take one more um, audience response at the back back row. I think.
9: Um, In the Ehrlich uh, exhibition, the first elevator that we come into from the door, the one that looks like it's going down but there's the mirror, um, I noticed the gears on the outside seem to be painted in trompe l'oeil. And I didn't notice any other painting in the exhibition. And at first I found it odd. But from what you're saying today, it kind of makes me think about the mirrors, the lack of mirrors, um, the projections of the sky, projections into the other elevator, and this um, maybe he was thinking about reality and, and some of the ways that we can explore reality um, and the tradition of painting and realism. I don't know, it just yes. seemed to be some of what you were talking about. Today.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I noticed that as well. It was, to me, disconcerting. Okay, well, thank you very much. Look, um, in the interest of time, I mean, I think the audience... I think there are things we might want to pick up on, but I think in the interest of time, we should move on to the second half of the program. I think now will be a good moment to thank my newly appointed editorial assistants, Molly Flannery and Kristen Studioso. Kristen prepared the PowerPoint, and Molly projected it. So thank you, ladies. And also to mention and thank Graham White, who is in his eighth year of recording the review panel, which you can hear uh, at www.artcritical.com. Actually, you don't even need the Ws anymore. It's a very, it's a very high-tech site. Just um, artcritical.com and the review panel. You can hear uh, the archive of most of the panels that have taken place in the last eight years. A couple of less got lost, but um, such is life. So... Um, Well, Carly, with Goiko Leia, we're really no longer in an area, are we, where we um, uh, question necessarily what on earth he's doing. This is a a rather rich traditional show in that it's uh, imagery that's uh, intriguing, transformative, uh, metamorphosis is at play... Um, foreboding. There's um, a definite mood established. Um, of course, there's room for interpretation as to precisely what the mood is and where, where, what the work means and where it's taking us. But um, rich, naughty, satisfying work. Would you agree?
3: I think I wanted more from him. I think he's been doing. Um Variations on adolescent artwork for a long time, and that's definitely what these works on, as um, was it mylar, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the notebooks on a grand scale. You know, your high school notebooks. Um, and I, I if, when he did this some years ago, um, it was part of a trend of kind of the glorification of adolescence and its trouble or its um, its moment of indecision as something to really be held onto and explored. And for whatever reasons, we or I have moved beyond that as um, anything of interest. Um, And I really want to like him. I've liked him in the past. The photographs for me were slightly more interesting, but again, I I had a real problem reconciling the form with whatever their intended content was. They're monumental they're expensive-looking, and that doesn't seem to be the message that they
4: impart.
1: Right, okay. Um, Ellie, do you you go along with those criticisms, or did you find uh, a different experience?
4: Well, I actually, I felt that he had evolved a bit um, from his previous work. It seemed to me that nature had been a constant theme in his work, whether it was nature itself, ocean, the woods, uh, or human nature and sort of impulses and adolescent impulses, be they sexual or violent, uh, and it seemed to me that in this show, nature was not only present but had become a protagonist for the first time. So it's uh, maybe that was just my impression, but to me it was successful in that way, and I was rather pleased with it. I actually found it more interesting than I had um, his previous work and the way that. Nature, in terms of plants, had joined with humankind in this sort of violent fusion. I found compelling and successful, not to mention visually interesting and pleasing.
1: Ken, what do you feel the show was about? Do you think there was there was a a theme running through it, or a a constellation or of themes that uh, added up to something particular? Well, it
2: seemed like two different people to me, and. The photographs in the in the drawings, and this is my f- I, I, has he shown drawings before in this, uh, in this He's f- made drawings. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, so I I only am familiar with his the photographs he he made where he he had duplicates of him multiple multitudes of uh, himself because he he uh, I don't know how old he was he is now, but he looked very young for a long time mm-hmm. when he was. How old is he now? Does anybody know?
1: He's still young. and He still looks young, I think. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, he looks yeah. So he played on that, and uh, with was my handsome s- youth, sort of these sort of weird film stills seemed like uh, like uh, you know these these cloned uh, scary kind of cloned kids, and the 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 drawings just I can't get really past that they're so uninteresting just as drawing technically and um, I mean they look like an industrious more or less skillful uh, undergraduate uh, drawing and <clears throat> and the fusion of, of plant and uh, animal just doesn't do it for me no so I was struck so when I turned from the drawings to that one of the the uh, the pipe structure in the water I, th- I was struck by that. that I thought that was pretty interesting and strange and, and cinematic I just I think he seems to me to be fairly accomplished uh, in having a photographic vision and knowing what to do with it mm-hmm. uh, but making st- stuff by hand I, it, I started thinking what would uh, Gregory Crutzen uh, do if he was going to draw or Mm -hmm. Cindy Sherman. There's no reason to think that what what they would make by hand would be as as interesting as what they do.
1: Well, we we have the opportunity now to see drawings by Matthew Barney, uh, which I think is... Well, he's done that all along. Sorry? He's made drawings all
2: along. Yes. Yeah. Little uh, Boise... kind of
1: things, yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, But, uh, yeah... um, I, I, I cornered myself here. I started sounding enthusiastic in order to get a, an enthusiastic rise out of Carly, but um, actually I, I was faking it, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I've come clean, rather than just digging myself further and further into the hole of a taste I don't really have there. Um, but I, I feel perhaps Ken was a little harsh. I mean, the, although I, I see what he's saying about the drawings. I mean... Um, I think they're not. um, He's not Durer, but he's um, he's nonetheless, um, and he's not Blake either. But I think there's a there's a desire to use the material of uh, you know the, the the smooth, slippery, coppery kind of feeling of mylar and the 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 materials that he uses, which has. I think it's beyond i think i think an undergraduate who drew like that would have a good future i mean i think that's i think that was harsh because um it actually com, com, compared to what most of the drawings you see around it's not um hackneyed figuration and it's not um spindly kind of Karen Kalimnik bad drawing dooleith stuff it's it's um, um i i agree that as i say it's not leonardo but it's it's um he's it seems to me that he's got both a facility and curiosity and that's a good combination
2: well I think I mean aside from the the technical aspect the you know the flies and the the sort of the horror that he's trying to evoke is is really way you know it has a lot farther to go
1: I didn't think there was so much horror I thought that there was, there was an ambiguous uh, state There's the copulation between animals and people um, uh, was kind of morally sort of ambiguous, ambivalent. I didn't feel that he was. Well, uh, you could. Forward that could, that could be
2: for or against. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you
5: mean,
1: no, there, I mean, there's
2: a position to take on bestiality that. Uh, uh, okay. Well, anyway, you could.
1: You could in art. It's free
2: for you know. We, it's art. Oh, in art. Not it's life. art. Oh, it's <laughs> in art. Well, in art, he could. I just think you know that. That could be developed a lot further, made more explicit, uh, mm-hmm. more upsetting. Um,
1: I, I think it, if a contemporary young artist has things to explore, and I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not saying he's Klimt or Sheila, but it's um, as we get closer and closer historically to where he is, you realise, okay, what, what would somebody? I, I know it's it's just, I don't want to go down the route of saying you know. If Shakespeare was alive, he'd be writing uh, reality TV. Um, mm-hmm. But if there's a Klimt or Sheila in our midst today, how would they draw?
3: They would not be drawing, um, and I just.
1: Oh, I, they would not be drawing. Well, perhaps, okay, that's, but
3: I don't think he has the excuse of youth anymore. For one, and also. No, but he um, has the
1: excuse of being in the early twenty-first century. Okay,
3: but I think that there's also this problem of again content and form. With these, there it, it does seem that they want to say something. And, um, and the, the, there is something to be grappled with when what, uh, we, there's the impulse towards beauty, but there's an impulse to also uh, critique, you know, I don't know, how horrible we are in, in global warming. And, and so you get in a lot of shows this kind of monumentalization of decay and decrepitude. Um, and even since we were talking, Barney, I mean, you know, that show is about... Um, the automobile, in one sense, but it's also, again, like much of his work, the monument monumentalization of uh, why well, it's perhaps too broad, but um, you know, of of uh, decaying. Pro- processes. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of... I mean, even um, you know show that no one was obliged to see was um, the, like, Sterling Ruby um, Fontana show at Andrea Rosen. And again, you have these kind of melting forms. And it was very interesting to pair it with um, uh, Fontana when you think of prices. Again, I'm always thinking of how much this stuff costs. And when you when you make something that is a luxury object in the intention of critiquing um, consumerism, you are facing a problem. And that's why I find that... The, the Heim Ste- Steinbeck in some ways to be more genuine, but on the other hand, what's the price less for that? Um, and it, it can only be, if you want to be consistent, which artists are not obliged to be, um, You know, a way of sending us back to the original figurines, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. Do not buy the Steinbeck. Go get some nice figurines. You know.
2: Are you saying that the, the, how do you pronounce his name?
3: Goi- 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 we don't know goi- how to pronounce it. <laughs>
2: that his work to you is a critique of consumer culture.
3: I, well, I felt like it was um, trying to say something about the state of nature, um, mm-hmm. and um, the state of uh, in the we are not in a good place with nature. Oh. Um, and but I, I just if and in some sense they, but the photographs were beautiful and compelling in some ways, but they also seemed to be uh, with you know the whales with the um, sheets over them. Um, a kind of cry for things that have gone wrong, but I'm not sure how making a beautiful, uh, huge photograph um, is consistent if you want to make if you as an artist decide that you're making a critique.
5: Yeah
2: I, I, I guess if, if there is a critique in his work it was uh, it's not
1: clear enough. I felt that it was not critique art. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think um, I, didn't get, I didn't pick up the vibe of critique, I got the, picked up a vibe of melancholy and um, a desire to explore the sense of transformation and, and to evolve some sense of identity. But I, as, as he has no explicit critique that any of us are aware of, and as, as it doesn't feel critique-like, I think it would be an invalid critique to say that we don't know what the critique is. But, uh, Ellie, um, what is the vibe of the show?
4: Well, I actually I agree with you. I didn't pick up on any implied critique, which isn't to say there isn't one. I just... That, the show, that didn't occur to me at all when seeing the show. I really just, just was sucked in by the supreme creepiness of pretty much every picture, whether it be a drawing or a photograph. You know, something seems to have gone drastically wrong with human evolution uh, somewhere <laughs> along the line in Goikalea's world And uh, I was actually curious whether anybody else noticed in the corners of the gallery there were those so, piles yes. of graphite. graphite I found out yes. uh, the same stuff that he had drawn the drawings with, I didn't know if anyone else noticed that or I
1: noticed. Yeah. I'm i sure we all did are <laughs> I noticed, projects, noticed, What we? did you think about it? <laughs> I didn't know what to think <laughs>
5: He
2: uh, seemed like like the drawings were like a kid who was into Ivan Albright and and and, and well, w- that's a fairly Dali sophisticated yes, yes, he is. Well, that in a way that's that's the standard in, uh, for for judging. Um, okay. I mean, here we have we do have some sort of comparisons that are relevant.
1: Yes. In art. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, there's a surrealism there. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a there's a grotesque. So element. is it is it
2: you know, mind-blowing surrealism? No, it's not. It's pretty flies and hair and feathers. You know, it's pretty routine kind of iconography.
1: Okay. Well, I think there's a problem in saying, you know, here's an artist who's looking at, who's working within this trajectory. This trajectory isn't as good as that trajectory. I mean, um... I I find it slightly problematic because you know I think he has got something going, um, and uh, I'm willing to look at more, which is Alex Katz's criterion. He's Alex Katz. When I mean, he goes around young shows, he doesn't care whether it it looks really accomplished. He doesn't care whether it looks better than anyone else. He just says uh, he's. I've heard him say that he says. Uh, would I want to see a second show? And if he would, that's a mark of success. So, for me, that's my mark of success with um, Anthony. And,
2: um, well, if it was only show in okay,
1: I'd want to see it.
2: <laughs> that's a, I mean, there's
1: lots to see. So. There's plenty of shows out there where if it was the only show in I wouldn't want to see it. I'd just go and see a movie. So um, Unless Carly or Ellie has a final word, on Goiko Lea. Let's move to that, take advantage of that nice segue and ask ourselves about um, Alex Katz. Um, Ken, Katz, uh, we like to, at the review panel, ignore context and just grapple with the work. But it's hard not to notice when um, one of the grand old men of our um, culture has... Uh, has uh, moved downtown and, and moved from uh, a multiplex kind of gallery with uh, uh, international branches to um, a rather hip and younger uh, gallery. Did you feel, um, context notwithstanding or context aiding and abetting, did you feel uh, that you were looking at the work of a grand old man or did you feel this was work with urgency and uh, well not that did you feel this was uh, a youthful show Um,
5: can I
2: can
1: you can ignore the question and (laughs) say whatever you want to say absolutely Absolutely. I think I
2: think for I mean cats I've been looking at cats for you know how long has it been 30 years or something but uh, I mean he's been around longer than he was painting before I was born, but um, what what I, I've my uh, feelings about cats have swung uh, from positive to negative and back wider than uh, almost any artist I can think of over the years. Um, when I first I thought it was his work was creepy at one point. I mean, not, then I thought it was just amazing as uh, this combination of sociological observation and kind of simplified uh, painting. And then, lately, the most recent thing I thought, even though I, I like the show and I like the flower paintings especially, and I thought, how does somebody like, that, that really has the sensibility of a New Yorker <coughs> magazine cover mm-hmm. illustrator, have this kind of, turn that into a uh, significant, what Greenberg would have called major painting. and. Uh, It mystifies me. It completely mystifies me, and um, which is a good thing, right? Yeah, I go back because because of that.
1: Carly, are you happy with the designation of Alex Katz as a New Yorker cover style artist?
3: Sure. Um, I think that. I mean, you were you prefaced it by saying that you know is context important, and I think this show itself is fascinating, as a cultural artifact. Um, I mean, there's so many things to consider in the narrative that the artist, much of the show itself is the narrative that the artist has put out there, he's done a lot of interviews around it, you know, he's going downtown, although Gavin Brown probably sells almost as much art as Pace, well, maybe not as much as Pace, but as much as pieces branches, and, um, And it makes you wonder about one of these late-in-life, perhaps, struggles. It's the move doing what the art doesn't do. And just perhaps Ken can speak to this better. Again, with the critique function, you know, the portraits that he's making um, are very... Surface and formal and abstract, if you want to call it that, or or perhaps empty, if you want to call it, the, you know, more color field. Like, is that a critique of the sitters, of the lifestyle, of the of the milieu? Um,
1: I doubt it, personally. But uh, if, it, it, but, but, it, well, I, is well,
3: reframing the reframing the context in which mm. you present that, an attempt to reframe your own relationship. To the aesthetic that you have um, adopted at all, or does is context, of course, mm-hmm. irrelevant, and it's all about the picture in front of you. Um, and you know, the the move was framed as like, well, he's influenced people like Peyton and, um,
7: Doig. and
3: Doig, and so it's a kind of nice payback, so that when he sells his um, six, seven-figure paintings, the gallery gets somebody. They certainly don't need help from him. Um, so I thought it was just an interesting, like, what, what is the desire uh, to reframe your own work, um, um, you know, at, the, at this moment? Um, and it, it perhaps gets at, if someone wanted to, which we don't now, um, address more the kind of problem of where the gallery market finds itself Mm. It's a whole
1: yes, those are several subjects. But Ellie, the, what Carly said that interested me most was the idea, um, is it to be read as a critique of the sitters that the work has this highly schematic and reductive quality and, and also the, the black ground, the surface, the pushing to the surface. Um, and my initial response to Carly was, oh, I doubt it, because I was thinking uh, I was corrupted by personal acquaintance with the artist, but really, from the point of view of this panel, um, the it doesn't matter if the artist intends it as a critique, if the work contains the capacity but, yeah, to but, be I a mean, critique. To be
3: fair, like, that's what makes you wonder, is yes. he's of this milieu. Yes. That perhaps there is some ambivalence towards it rather it's rather than a celebration of these are certain people, as abstract as they are, they're very specific and certain people who look a very specific and certain way. Yeah. Um, maybe he's gotten sick of it. I don't know.
1: He's gotten sick of it?
3: <laughs> I, you know Oh I, you
1: mean he's he's getting his own back on Ada and Ulla and Anna and Helen. <laughs> but his <laughs> maybe, his yeah. subject
2: matter has always been yeah. a certain kind of upper middle right. class you know right. Cocktail party, blue, bohemian blue, 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 yeah. yes. not bohemian but the blue uh, the sort blue of a yeah. white shoe blue yeah. blazer kind of you know, no well I'm no, not. A, not white shoe, but you know uh a certain kind of like high rise elegance with big windows and a nice view, and uh I always get that i don't know if anybody else gets this, but the lips are always the lips always uh have this big puffy, standout kind of quality to them that um, I don't know what
4: collagen. Co- yeah, yeah,
2: they, yeah, and I don't know. They're they're beautiful people, but there's something sort of at once flat and grotesque about them, and mm-hmm. they're really annoying. And and uh, you know, has he has he ever painted a? A tramp? Someone, yeah, someone who's unemployed, or a
1: tramp. <laughs> <laughs> a hobo? Yeah. I've I wondered Would over the years th- why he doesn't paint me, but maybe this is why. <laughs> I this is, um, uh, uh, Ellie,
3: I was just going to say, they're not Lucian Freud, oh, very no. deliberately. But um, they are
1: totally not Lucian yeah. Freud, no. Absolutely, and of course, Lucian Freud can be painting the Queen of England or Lord Rothschild right. and make them look like a tramp, right. and Alex Katz can be painting an uh, an art student like, and make it. her look like a princess. Uh, but that's so. There's the, the, the traffic there is kind of interesting. Ellie,
4: uh, I think I I think I prefer Lucian Freud. <laughs> I uh, it's not that I object to the beautifying of everything. A lot of artists make both portraits, landscapes, whatever their subject matter, more beautiful than it is in reality. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I think my problem with Katz, or whether it be this show or every single other Alex Katz show I've ever seen, is that he paints the people as though they're landscapes. Uh, And people aren't landscapes, to my mind. There's a lot more there and it's just, it's as though they're sort of flat, uninteresting objects, yet whoever these people are, whatever their social standing, he's personally acquainted with a lot of his sitters. You could go around the show and say, this is the former director of Gavin Brown's, this is his wife, this is, you know, there's such a rich, you have to assume there's a rich relationship there, but whoever it is, they pose for an hour and a half, he makes a couple sketches, and then makes a painting that looks exactly like all of his other paintings. I just, I wish he'd do more. <laughs> I know he can. <laughs> I think, I
2: think it's to go back to, to. It's important to realize that he came out of the 50s, and at a time when uh, that the kind of information that Ellie's talking about wasn't considered something. I mean, it was. You, that wasn't something that high art was supposed to be about. Right,
1: he was definitely so transgressive. It, because was, he,
2: it was kind of, uh, and it wasn't pop art either. Exactly. It, it, and it was actually about life in a certain way, and yet it was big, formally very astute uh, and um, impressive painting. So, yeah, that's it's pretty significant what he did, and you can see like why that... You know that so Elizabeth Payton that becomes support for the idea of making uh, paintings about rock stars or just the, the things in your life that that excite you or that you're drawn to um.
1: Yes Peyton I think synthesizes the energies of Alex Katz and David Hockney uh, to produce I produce. mean
2: Hockney is an interesting comparison because you know he Katz maintains almost. Something verging on a minimalist uh, insistence, and I, I think, you know, I I guess I disagree. I think that's powerful. Where where Hockney kind of is is all over the place. Well, Hockney is
1: is, has probably is you know, Hockney's trying to be a bridge between Freud and Kant. I think. I mean, Hockney wants to have the sort, sort of the gravitas, psychology, depth of uh, uh, mm-hmm. Freud, uh, but he also wants to have the um, the 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 glamour and the. But like, like, like Hockney's I mean,
2: Hockney's realist paintings of the '70s are, yes. are just amazing. I think I think they're really great. And then he he wanted to be Picasso, so he he left that off. He couldn't stick with it. Cats uh, has been. Impressively, you know, heroically consistent. Heroically
1: consistent, years. and yet when you see a cat from the fifties, and then put it next to one of the sixties, and put it next to one of the seventies, and so on, there's—you never mistake the period. If you become, as I feel I can say, I have a connoisseur of the work, it's—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how it's always moving forward. The language is always being tweaked, and it's um, consistent, but uh, with with constant um, growth but I I think that uh, for me you know um, I just said something there which I'm immediately regretting but it's but I was using a kind of shorthand um, to get across something about Hockney but when I say talk about Freud's psychological depth, Katz's glamour I think that the genius of Katz is to get psychological acuity with that schematic uh, reductive, uh, very glamorous, very uh, American, and of his era um, of you know mid 20th century American sensibility. Um, but to make a portrait that's just as um, actually psychologically penetrative. Do we think, for instance, that Rembrandt is necessarily more um, penetrative than Franz Hals? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a safe contention. I think there's Franz Hals and Rembrandt are, are both great painters. Uh, they both they have different um, idioms, somewhat, that they're working in. And that Franz Hals, with that, um, that uh, bravura, fast um, style, can actually get as much of the character as Rembrandt with that more labored and more agonized um,
2: working. Yeah, I don't know if there's an equivalent... I think there I'd is an equivalent, and the equivalent would,
1: would be Freud and Katz. I mean, I'm not saying that they're equivalent geniuses. and that's, that's tedious. I mean, Those are two 17th century Dutch painters. These are two uh, early 21st century or um, late 20th century anglo um, But uh, Freud's
2: not, Freud tri- not really a portrait artist. I think it's uh, like Alice Neal might be a more mm-hmm. interesting um, comparison.
1: Well, <laughs> Ellie was complaining that Katz <laughs> treats, uh, or was it Carly treats the uh, human face as if it's a landscape. Mm. That was
5: was was (laughs) okay.
1: Um, I mean, Freud. I mean, really, um, does surely that? Are you happy with Freud? You like Freud? Is that is Freud the good alternative to?
4: Yeah, I just find. You said you do. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I just um, maybe I I need my complexity spelled out for me. (laughs) Perhaps that's it. You're you're right. He does treat people like landscapes in a very different way. he treats of... people
1: like meat.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'd rather be a field than a meat, wouldn't you? Yes. Um, that
4: being said, the landscape and the cat show was really cool. Well, the landscapes, the, and the, cat, the, the the
1: the 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 wildflowers, just as you're complaining, perhaps that the <laughs> um, uh, faces are fields. The flowers are faces, right?
4: I really, I really liked the um, particularly the the I think it's called reflection seven yes. I have here. The um, it looks like I just said a Rorschach in flat test. Right. And I thought it was so interesting. That was my favorite piece in the show. I could just look at that for yep. such a long time and it looked uh, obviously, you know, it reminded me of Andy Warhol's Rorschach, but then also Andy Warhol's camouflaged. <laughs> it seemed like there was layers there and it would switch back and forth and you could look at it from many different angles and see different things in a way that I wasn't able to with the portraits.
2: I think that the, that he doesn't treat people as individuals but more as types and that there's there's I think that's why um, you might have a sense that there's an element of criticism of social mm-hmm. even satire mm-hmm. uh, maybe suppressed rage mm-hmm. I, I you know
3: I think that's the most interesting thing to be said about the show yeah. and then of course with the um, flowers which are beautiful I'd love them on a Bedsheet. Um, I always ask myself the question, if, you know, if a woman uh, of a certain age had made this, would we care? And of course that's not really fair but, uh, you know, because every, it's not. But um, I, you know, they're, they're lovely from, from, little from early in his things. career, an,
1: an artist came yeah. up to him um, uh-huh. uh, an artist came up to him after he had a show of his collages and little pink landscapes mm-hmm. and said Oh, you're, you're Alex Katz. I thought yeah. I thought Alex Katz was a, was a woman, woman yeah. and uh, Katz said, "Well, thank you. I'm glad my feminine side comes yeah. through." I mean, I
3: suppose that it's an achievement that he's also consistently painted these very, um, Faith. feminine colors. Or, but mm. um, but I do think that the, the the idea of suppressed rage is a really compelling one to read <laughs> these, and that's how I read the um, um, relocation.
1: Hmm. He says that when Ann Beatty saw one of his paintings from the 70s she was able to tell from his painting which of the couples were still married and which divorced. (laughs) Well let's open it to the audience then. Um, uh, The young man uh, Goiko Lea and the uh, distinguished gentleman of a certain age Alex Katz um, who would like to make some comments on, on what on the verdicts we arrived at on those two artists. Either, Mm -hmm. both. (laughs) Um, Yes, at the back row?
6: I'd like to make a comment on, um, or at least get some feedback from you, about Alex Katz. Other artists, um, such as Monet, uh, Picasso, even Matisse, From the early years, if any of us have gone to retrospective shows, you could see early on they had a particular type of facility and then a particular type of vision, uh, which evolves. I'll just bring to mind Monet in particular. There was a show at the Met, um, Origins of Impressionism. I was dumbfounded by his facility and then to later on see his personal vision as an impressionist. And then, of course, to go to the Met, uh, the Modern, and see his very abstract interpretations. So, th- my uh, question to you regarding Alex Katz is: Do you see uh, over the years any type of progression, or uh, what I feel uh, as an an artist, contemporary artist, is it the pressures of the modern day? world the gallery scene museums you've got something you've got to look stick with it do you think that the contemporary art world gives the artist the freedom to change that there's a lot there I'm sorry well I
1: I mean I, I would just completely reject the characterization of cats uh, that you've given because the, first of all the if you look at the very early work of cats it has incredible facility and the really, uh, you know, the collages he made when he's still in his 20s are um, uh, really compelling, incredible, beautiful little things and uh, quite radically different from, in many ways from works that that would come later. Um, And yet uh, they sort of contain the seeds of everything that does come later. And as I already stated, I, I think that the work is in this constant progression and it's in- amazing from an artist in his uh, 80s to um, just be gener- just be setting himself new uh, challenges in terms of uh, scale and kind of image um, from from show to show I mean it's not he's not bouncing around like uh, uh or Andre Durand or somebody uh, producing radically different imagery or, or work from, sh- from period to period it's always an Alex Katz and a Katz look, but um, um, yeah, it, I can't think of many artists who have a particular look who grow as much.
3: Well, as to the point about freedom to change, I think he could paint a you know a blue canvas and sell it for quite a bit of money. So you have the freedom to change if you've already you know sold quite a bit over the years.
1: I think. Okay. Uh, any other? Um Comments on, on on the two sh- last two shows we've been looking at. Um, if if not, uh, if we if you feel this panel has really discharged its <laughs> responsibilities to the point of covering every possible thought that one could have on those two shows, then we've done a good job, and we thank you for coming.